Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Welcome to Raising Equity. Today we're going to talk about gender and how it's not binary. It's fluid. It's on a spectrum. It's non-binary. And we also don't often know how to navigate it. So we're going to talk about how we understand gender, how it comes to present itself in ourselves, our kids. And so I have with me today a colleague and friend of mine, Dr. Amber Johnson, who's going to share some of their own experiences and also their experience navigating gender and kids. So I welcome you, Dr. Amber Johnson. Thank you, Kira. I'm excited <laughs> to be here with you today. Yeah, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. So like I mentioned, this idea of gender being non-binary, I have some colleagues who are, I'll say, over 60, and it literally breaks their brain. It li- I mean, they share it. I'm not trying to be ageist. Like They literally share, this is hard for me to wrap my mind around. From your professional experience, where did we start to shift to having it be more acceptable in the mainstream to talk about gender as non-binary? That's a really great question. Um, I, I, I think that there are multiple shifts happening in multiple arenas. So I do recall a massive shift happening after Orange is the New Black aired the first season. And so this was the first time that we had a mainstream show featuring a trans person playing a trans person. And even though that show has lots of other issues, the way that they tended to Laverne Cox's character was very careful and very complex. And I think that opened the segue for a lot of people to start talking about it around the dinner table because it's on TV, right? Um, but then I think in terms of of community and what we've been talking through in terms of just being a part of queer and non-binary communities. Um, I think that for me, that shift probably started about 10 years ago personally, but I definitely witnessed those conversations happening. I just wasn't necessarily a part of them prior to that 10 year mark. Um, But then when I think about those who are older um, or folks who say, you know, gender boggles their brain. Uh, I think the shift is beginning. Um, and I think we'll see a lot of progress in the very near future because when change happens, it's once it starts rolling, I think it happens much faster now because of social media and the internet and all that fun stuff. Um, so like my mom is 65 and she's come a long way in the last decade, mm-hmm. a long way. So I think for for a lot of folks, it just takes time. Uh, But the babies pretty much got it. Like the babies, it doesn't really require much conversation. Um, They're a lot more open to difference. And they haven't stigmatized difference yet. Hopefully they won't, um, especially with Raising Equity Podcast. (laughs) I could only hope except for, you know, I feel like my kids who are almost 10 and 12 we're we're having these conversations, but like there's so much around them already that's bombarding them to yes. talk about what is being a boy, what is being a girl. My oldest son was saying there was somebody who was teasing him, telling him that he was gay because he didn't want to have sex. <laughs> so to that, we just say, actually, your language is wrong. That makes me asexual. But thanks for playing. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Get your words right. <laughs> And then we can also just backtrack too and talk about some of the terms and what yeah. they mean. Um, yeah. So binary gender just means male or female. There's no in between. There's no other. 
we are one of few countries who still hold steadfast to that binary. So there are a lot of other countries that have been recognizing third genders, two spirits, um, et cetera, and so on. Uh, hijras, like there's so many cultures that recognize people who don't fall in that binary category. Um, so non-binary just means I don't uphold the binary in my performance or identity, um, my expression, my definitions, et cetera. Can I pause there yep. just to say you mentioned binary as male, female. Do you use that language? Or do you say man, woman, like to, to the gender and sex yep. difference? I use male, female purposefully okay. because the binary assumes that biological sex is the demarcation for your gender. Yes. Right. Um, so in non-binary language, you would say masculine, feminine, androgynous, femdrogynous, gender queer, gender fluid. There's so many terms. Mm -hmm. Trans, right? Trans is kind of the umbrella term for all of it. Um, but for those people who don't necessarily shift their, their gender identity, um, but instead sort of reject it, you might be agender or play with it. You might be gender fluid. Um, or alia gender. I know I have a gender, but I don't know what it is yet. So I, it's not whatever I have access to. So the things that I have access to, it's not that, but I know that there's something there, right? So all of these terms then sort of help people get in where they fit in. Um, so when we say, yeah, non-binary, we're talking about all genders that don't subscribe to the binary mode of thinking. And my sense is that folks are using non-binary rather than gender non-conforming. And tell me what your thought is. As I heard that, as I heard people make that choice, I'm assuming that gender nonconforming almost like sounds deviant. Like I'm not conforming. And I know some people almost want that. Like I'm rejecting that. But do you, do you see or feel a distinction between gender nonconforming and non-binary? Um, so I don't personally use gender nonconforming because when we become non-binary or we transition to a trans-masculine or a trans-feminine person, we are conforming to something. Mm. So just because you're not conforming to the binary doesn't mean you're not conforming. And there's a lot of issues within queer communities around uh, policing, right? And how we police gender, who gets to use the word trans, who gets to use the word androgynous, are you doing it right? Um, and, and there's a hierarchy for sure. Um, in terms of people who look like Janet Mock being at the top of that hierarchy because they, quote unquote, transitioned good. Um, and then for people who are non-binary who choose not to go on hormones, um, there's pushback, right? So for me, we are conforming to something, but I think the goal is to conform to that which makes you feel good versus that which has been ascribed to your body. Thank you. I appreciate that explanation because for me, this has been a growth edge mm -hmm. and for me to understand and, and push myself to think about gender in a non-binary way actually started when I was teaching abnormal psychology, which I guess I've been teaching for like 15 years, mm -hmm. but I would always push my students to ask the question, like who gets to define what's normal, what's abnormal. And we would always talk about gender and sex. Because the DSM has a lot of ideas about how sex should happen, who it should happen with and right. not. And, and with gender, we had gender identity disorder, and now we have what we call gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And so in talking about gender identity disorder, I would often frame with them, 
frame for them that it's not the individual having a having a gender identity that doesn't match their genitalia that's the problem. It's how society right. reacts to them or treats them. Right. Because we actually have research to show that young people who have support around their gender identity uh, do not have higher levels of distress and depression they and anxiety. But when their environment is not supportive, yep. we see those numbers skyrocketing. So I say all that to say, you know, it's been something that I've constantly been trying to push myself to read, learn, and understand because I saw in like the stories that I would read mm -hmm. and the videos that I would watch that there was a time when, like you said, the hierarchy that you were only okay and good enough if you fully transitioned. As I was watching people tell their stories, I saw some people feel very strongly like, why should I have to have surgery on my genitalia just to fit a box? Why can't I have my identity and simply be me and other people choosing to go through the surgery? And so I'm just saying that to say it was clear that there were folks who didn't want to have to fully conform to what we say male or female is mm -hmm. and just wanted to be. Right. Right. So there's several issues with the statements that people have said, but also just how we uh, construct conversations, right? The discourse yeah. around what it means to transition. So even the term fully transition, there's no such thing as fully transitioning, right? Your transition is full and complete when you feel full and complete, yes. not when you've reached a particular point. Um, and then even the idea of like mutilating gender or altering gender and why a person might want to do that. Um, it's deeply personal. Yes. And, and it's not, the act in and of itself, um, I mean, surgery is invasive. Period. We know that. But I don't think that a person who is choosing sex reassignment surgery feels that it's necessarily like mutilation or altering so much so as becoming the body that they feel most comfortable in. And so medically transitioning means using any of the following medical resources to become who you want to become. So that could be as simple as hormones, right? Hormone therapy. So that would be your entrance point to um, top surgery, bottom surgery, facial, re facial feminization surgery. There's body feminization. So there's lots of surgeries um, that could cost between fifty dollars and $100,000 for one person, depending upon how much they, 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 they request it. And so for some people, that is a practice of affirmation, right? It's a spiritual and metaphysical practice of affirming who they are. And then for some people, they say, well, I don't necessarily need or want to be affirmed in my skin. I want to be affirmed by those in my, my community, right? So name changes or pronoun changes might be enough. Um, and then there are people who say, I identify as gender fluid or, or non-binary, but I'm not changing anything because I just am who I am and I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. And so I, th I think there's so many layers to transitioning. And again, no, nobody fully transitions ever. And, and, and it's a lot like coming out in that you are always transitioning because we're mm -hmm. always learning more about gender every day, about our own genders, about other people's genders. Um, so once you sort of jump into that rabbit hole, I think it's something that you explore, right? Alice in Wonderland, you explore it for the rest of your life. I don't think any of it is, is steadfast um, or, or simple. So even like some of the participants in my Transfuturism project, if I interviewed them three years ago, their answers might be completely different now. So when I go to um, exhibit the show, I have to ask, 
and get updates to make sure that I'm not misgendering someone or using the wrong name, uh, things like that. So our, our, our identities are always shifting, just like any other identity um, that you might have. That's really helpful. Right. I do. You're right. It's about how do how do people align themselves with their felt sense of their gender? Period. And so maybe that as I'm as I'm listening or, you know, hearing some people's stories that like you talked about the hierarchy, like that might be some intra group judgment that, oh, that's mutilation to say that for you to do that, to judge someone who makes that choice rather than saying that's affirming for you. Right. Yes. And I think that's the case in most marginalized social identity categories, right? Whether it's colorism. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, you're not Christian enough. Like there, that's in, it's in every social identity category. The funny thing is it's not in the natural world, right? So there is no squirrel that says to another squirrel, you're not squirrely enough or a tree that says you're not tree enough, right? So where did we pick up this behavior uh, and why do we use it to police and categorize each other? Oppression. Hello. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do we, as we, I mean, we're, like you said, we're constantly exploring for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So how do we help, how do we support kids in navigating this topic? Because it's ever changing. Right. It is fluid. Right. So you dropped some, 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 some intellectual knowledge earlier. And so I'll add some statistics to that. So 60% of, of trans youth have attempted suicide. The difference between the 60% and the 40% is one adult who cares, one adult who affirms their existence. That's all it takes. It could be a parent. It could be a guardian. It could be a teacher. But it takes one adult to say, I affirm your existence, right? Dramatic decrease. Um, So when you think about that number, then what's the logical next step? But what does care and affirmation look like? Um, So when my kids were little, I just sort of tried to avoid gendered language. Um, so anytime I heard things like, oh, that's for girls, we don't do that. Right. Um, unfortunately though, I'm, I'm one voice in a sea of many. And so walking through target, everything's gendered, right? So mom is teaching all these things at home, but the world is not reflecting that. So it required a lot of continual, um, reinforcing that even though this looks like that, you don't have to shop in this section because it feels like the right thing to do. If you prefer to go buy something in that section, then we will, right? Um, And so that kind of was their entrance point into dismantling some of the stuff that gender, that the binary has taught us. Um, But then above and beyond that, so I have two children. They are 12 and nine now. um, And my youngest child, at 18 months, started refusing to wear dresses. Um, two years old, asked for their first haircut uh, at about two and a half, was potty trained and started stealing Big Brother's underwear uh, and refusing to wear, <laughs> we called them chonies. I don't know, that's an LA thing, but panties. Okay. Um, and then at three years old, I cut my hair off and they looked at me like, mom, you get to cut yours, but I don't cut, dude. So I cut it off and they have not had hair since. Um, four years old, start saying, my name's Jake, Adam, Chase, Thunder, and then finally settled um, on Axel and has been extremely uh, exploratory in understanding their gender identity. And so I've had to 
not only affirm who they are and just say like, what are, sometimes it's as simple as asking, what are your pronouns today? Um, <laughs> my son, on the other hand, I ask him too, because I ask everybody, what are your mm-hmm. pronouns today? And finally one day my son goes, mom, it's he, him. It's probably not going to change. You can stop asking. Okay. <laughs> I'll stop. I just want to give you the space. <laughs> I just wanted to give you the space. He's like, fine, you don't need that space. We're good. Um, but. What I've seen, though, from asking about pronouns Mm -hmm. and just deconstructing those binary statements while also affirming that you can be who you want is I see my children now taking up for other kids who have who are different Mm. for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And so. I remember my nephew coming over one day and we had a visitor, uh, a girl who had on a skirt uniform. And my nephew was like, man, I wish I went to your school so I could wear a skirt uniform. And my son was like, you could wear a skirt uniform right now. You don't have to go to her school for that. Um, So little things like that. I'm like, okay, you're listening. You're listening and you're paying attention. And then my nephew and my son both advocate for my youngest fiercely. Um, They are very good at switching pronouns between school and home. Um, Very good at not uh, misgendering Axel at school. they're just fierce advocates and just really lifting Axel up. And so I, I, a huge part of that, you talk about raising equity. I think a huge part of that is raising kids to just see difference as something that is beautiful and to be celebrated, um, but also as something to model, mm-hmm. right? Because there's freedom in embracing and affirming your difference. Um, so, yeah, that's so people think people. I should say, people blamed me for Axel's gender identity. How did that come out? Like, did they say, oh, you made them like that? Or if you're making that If you wore more up? dresses, Axel wouldn't be that way. If you wore more makeup, Axel wouldn't be that way. Who's going to teach Axel how to be a woman? Oh, like it was your fault. It's my fault that you didn't Axel doesn't femininity. know how to be feminine. And what I have to explain to people is that when Axel, between the ages of 18 months and five years old, we lived in Houston, Texas. I worked for a university with a strict dress code. I had long hair. I wore dresses and I wore makeup. So let's talk about it. Whose right. fault is it? Right. Um, and so what I also tell them is watching Axel shift into their own identity affirmed my ability to do the same. So in reality, it's Axel's fault that I found freedom mm. for my gendered body. It's flipped. Right. And so I cut my hair right before Axel turned three. Um, and started sort of transitioning into non-binary identity around that time. And it took me a good three to four years to get comfortable with myself. Um, so I would say that we sort of grew up together, but I was 30-something and Axel was, you know, an adolescent. That's beautiful. Yeah. And here we are. Isn't it amazing how kids teach us? They teach us so much. If we just if we... Sh- STF you and listen. Mm-hmm. So much. Mm-hmm. 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 If we shut up, if we slow down, slow down, if we pay attention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And not try to change who they are. I've called my mom several times. Like, how did you deal with me? Because what my mother never did was berate me or punish me for being me. Even if my behavior did not please her. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you're talking too much. Or you're not taking this seriously. Or you touched glass and I told you not to touch. Like never. It was, well, that's your choice. Here are the consequences, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so what that did is it allowed me to just become who I am. And so I call her all the time asking for advice. Uh, and she just laughs at me. Thanks, mom. 
Did she? <laughs> so you talked about getting the courage to get comfortable in your own gender identity. Was that something that you had hints of oh, yeah. growing up, or you just ignored and pushed away? Oh yeah. yeah, I've I have long discovered that I did not want to be a woman, but I've never wanted to be a man, and there is no other alternative. So it's like, well, what do I do? And even well, he was like, well, androgyny is an alternative. Eh, yeah, but no, because in order for me to appear androgynous, I have to tone down my femininity. In order to do that, I have to rev up the masculinity. Mm. So there really isn't, you're still playing with masculine and feminine. There's, there's, there are things about my body that I cannot change unless I use hormones or, or medical, you know, or surgery. So the things that I could use to take away my femininity, right? Like removing my breast, having bottom surgery, um, and taking hormones would make me more masculine, not less feminine. Does that make sense? Yes. And I don't desire to be masculine in that kind of way. And so what I've been attempting to navigate for some time now is what's the, what are the alternatives? How do I shift my femininity without relying on masculinity? Because masculinity becomes a default again, right? This is sexism at work, even in the margins of the margins of the margins. Masculinity is always the default. Um, and I think that I found, <laughs> I feel like I found some sort of, uh, compromise in like uh, elderly wear. Like I feel, I feel like I be, I be, you, do, you do not have elderly wear. What? You know, just like think about every like sixty-two year old grandmother on vacation who's just like, "Fuck gender, fuck your rules. I'm gonna do what I want." And it's like khakis and a t-shirt, or like khakis and a button-up. Like it's comfortable. And I, I feel like that's who I may have become. Um, Bermuda shorts. And- um, no, really, like Bermuda shorts and a button up. And so it took me, it took me three years to wear makeup again because I felt like if I wore makeup, I was oh. going against everything that I was trying to become. Um, and you know, it's funny what shifted me into being okay because I think where I am now, I am okay with the masculine and the feminine in my body, right? Mm-hmm. But to get there, it, I actually went, to go buy uh, underwear, lingerie. And I was just remembering what it felt like to be like sexy in a really feminine way. And I was like, fuck this, I'm gonna buy some sexy lingerie. And then I did. And I was like, this is cool. And it, it sort of just like pushed me to say, well, let's, let's keep discovering and keep figuring out who you are. Because right. not wearing makeup, not getting my nails done, um, ensuring that my hair stayed as short as possible, those felt at one point freeing, but then mm-hmm. they became like my own little shackles, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I had to let all that stuff go. And, well, it sounds like because it was it was like the the absence of something, like I'm not doing this, and the body really learns on yes and affirmation. Hello. And so right. it's like, how do you affirm rather than not, right. not engage? So that's why I was, I don't, I didn't mean to laugh at you, but like laughing no. like the elderly wear. Like, no, like what? <laughs> I understand. But you what get what saying. I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. I did. You 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 got me there. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I feel like it's just neutral. Okay. It's, it's not trying too hard. Um, and so you'll see me sometimes, I'll totally have on like a button up and a tie with a full head of makeup and heels on. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there are moments where I have on no makeup, button up tie and Oxfords. It just, I do what I want. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the goal for everybody to get to a point yes. where they can say, I do what I want, yes. period. And this is this feels good for me. Yes. And 
I'm telling you, as I as I listen to the like the hatefulness of children, I get really worried. So this uh, you mentioned how it's easier with the babies, but I don't know. They're they're pretty hateful. I think it's easier with babies whose parents have given them some tools okay. to navigate difference. Okay. Right. So not all children, right? <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> um and and so I one of the things that I've been um, working on is a project that is geared towards children and their parents and guardians um, that uses story and narrative to teach them collectively how to care for each other as gendered beings. And so it started off as an open letter to my gender fluid child. Uh, in the sort of writing style of like James Baldwin, The Fire Next Time. Mm -hmm. Like, here's the things that you have to prepare yourself to deal with as a non-binary person in this world, as a Black child in this world, and as a masculine presenting child in this world. Um, because no one's written a letter to our trans and, and queer kids, right? But our Black kids, yes, we have letters, right? To not Ta-Nehisi Coates and Between the World and Me. Like, we have those things. Um, and so I wrote this open letter. It was about 13,000 words. So it was long, mm -hmm. right? Way too long to be an article, uh, but not long enough to be a book. And so I sat on it for a little bit. And the, the letter sort of goes through the stories I told earlier about how I transitioned and how Axel transitioned and sort of how we came to be who we are. Um, but then I was like, this is not accessible to a kid, even though I'm writing it to my kid. How do I get children to see the beauty and difference? So then I started working on a young adult fiction novel. Mm. It's called A Great Inheritance, and the inheritance is gender. And great is sarcastic. Uh, and it follows five children who have been chosen to dismantle the gender binary. But as they're going on this journey together, they realize that they're actually dismantling the entire genetic economy, which to me is the answer to end systemic oppression. So we shift everything from DNA hierarchy because everyone has DNA. Everybody has genetic disposition. Like having green eyes literally does not make you special. Having a penis does not make you special. Being 6'5 literally does not make you special. It's an arbitrary decision your body made when it decided which genes would be, you know, the ones, the chosen ones. But we've somehow managed to assign value to this arbitrary decision. So when you take away the value, what is left? What do we use to judge whether or not a human should be revered or, you know, put in the trash? Well, it opens up a world of possibilities. Maybe we, we, we look at creation, ideas, what you bring to the table. Like, there's so many ways to, to value a human. We've just chosen to use the most arbitrary one, which is genetics. Hmm. I got chills when you were talking about that. The journey of the kids to dismantle. It's, it's pretty awesome. It is. I, that's raising equity. They're yeah. raising equity. Yeah. Well, so, and yeah. it speaks to the other piece of raising equity that it's it's seeing and valuing difference and, and seeing how the systems have created these disparate outcomes. Yes. And transforming them and for transforming equity. Transforming them. Yep. Um, because yeah, being 65 shouldn't matter. It shouldn't. But a large majority, a disproportionate number of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are, are over 6 foot. Are very tall They're white tall men. They're tall white men. And we There's see that. There's a reason because when we see that, it symbolizes power. Yes. It symbolizes great decision making. It symbolizes uh being reserved. 
right? And, or, and putting off things so that you can meet your goals. Yeah. Or, even though it might not be any of those things. It might not be any of these things. Or they get allowed to be irate and disrespectful. That but too. because they are these it's, archetypes. It's, those are leadership qualities. Okay. Oh. Put it on a different body. Oh. Yeah. So, so I don't know if you knew this. Did you know I make jewelry? No, I knew you did pendulums, but I didn't know you made jewelry. Yeah, so I make jewelry. Um, I set stones. I'm metalsmith. Hmm. I fuse glass. What don't you do, Dr. I, Johnson? I do not play guitar. I suck really bad at that. I'm, I'm a terrible bowler. There's lots of things I don't do well. I was being um, facetious. You didn't really have to list <laughs> the things that you can't do, but. <laughs> you don't know how many times I've gotten that question, what don't you do? So I oh, just really? was like, let me go ahead and answer this, because there's a lot of stuff I don't do. But anyway, so I make jewelry, and... um. How the the book sort of unfolds is each kid finds a piece of jewelry that I made in my actual life now that is connected to a superpower. So once they find this relic, which is a piece of old jewelry, um, it ignites their powers. And so each kid has their own superpower and their own piece of jewelry. Without giving too much away, there's a ring, there are bracelets and anklets, there's a pendulum, um, there's a brooch. And there's a, an, uh, a pendant that looks like a train track. So, mm. and they're all connected to their powers very clearly. So it's, it's a fun, it was really fun to write. And I think once it is out, I think children will appreciate it and enjoy it and see themselves. All the characters have different um, gender identities, use different kinds of pronouns one character refuses to use pronouns as an act of resistance, so you have to use their name. You have to use Sapir's name anytime you mention Sapir, mm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. just to be annoying, right? Um, yeah, so it's, it's it's been really fun. Um, when will the book to be work out? On that. Man, listen, I don't know. Oh, okay. It's almost done. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get a I'm trying to get an advance. As a you should. Big one. As so you I'm, should. I'm floating it around to agents, and I'm trying to get Ava DuVernay to go ahead and just. Send me a movie contract. Well, let's just speak that into existence. Speak it into existence. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, I think that's one of the things, though, that helps teach about the systems, raise kids to, to love difference, mm-hmm. and then dismantle those systems, right? Yes. So stories help us see that because the book definitely goes through all of these systems, but in ways that I think are accessible and, and fun and interesting. Um, all the kids have different uh, mental and and physical abilities. Um, they're different sizes. They're all black though, because mm-hmm. I'm black, mm-hmm. and they my kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they black, right? And I I think that's an important distinction the the seeing systems and transforming it because we could all be nice. We could all be nice, but that's not going to change the hierarchy or change the systems. Right. right. And, I mean, with the current conversations that are happening in politics today like people assuming that if you if you critique our system that you hate america right and it's, it's like it's anti-patriotic I, right and it's actually yeah no actually i care enough to tell the truth hello and to say we need to do things differently period period it's really that simple right and that's another thing like we don't do the work that we do out of anger or hate or fear we do it out of love and joy and the desire to thrive Right. And I don't just want that for people who look like me. I want that for everyone. Everyone. Period. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. One question that I'm curious your reaction or thoughts to. So I've heard people say things like, oh, well, you know, I know like who would choose to be that way? So like almost like it's a deficit to 
be gender non-binary or people also use it just LGBTQ yeah, yeah, yeah. broadly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's such a dismissive yes. comment. So it's a, it's a comment designed to make people agree that gender and sexuality aren't a choice. Mm-hmm. But what that comment does is... Yes, it creates, it's, it's working from a motive of lack. Yeah. And it's the idea that being non-normative is somehow worse than being normative. Um, but in reality, I think if most cis people understood what non-binary living could do for them, they would choose it, right? Because if you, so if I have a classroom full of 50 students and I tell them, close your eyes, and I say, raise your hand if there's a body part that you have that you wish you could change, right? Everybody raises their hand. We all want to change stuff. Then I ask them again, is that body part that you want to change directly connected to gender? Yeah, always, right? So then I say, open your eyes and look around. Everybody's got their hands up, right? So the gender binary has put all of us into these boxes where we are, where we are forced to conform and forced to perform these very specific behaviors, attitudes, careers, And how much of your life has been stifled because you are focusing on the labor of being a gendered body? Take that labor away. Who do you get to be? Right. I would choose that in a heartbeat, but I didn't know that until it it, it, until I became non-binary. I didn't know that um, because it's it's a fish in water. Yeah, you don't. Gender is the water. You have no idea. Right. So. Yeah, you would choose that. Yeah, I would choose that every day over being cisgender. And if you don't get that, yeah, to do some thinking around the box, like you said, the box of gender. What are the things you do? What are the things you apologize for? Like I think about, I carry a small purse, and people used to give me a hard time. Like so, I would start to like say, I like a small, you know, like I would start to apologize for the mm-hmm. fact that I don't carry a big bag. Like that's a marker of that's, being a woman, ridiculous. isn't yes. it? Isn't it? Right. Or to get your nails done or to wear makeup. Like there are times in my life where I'm like, I'm going to wear makeup and be a woman. (laughs) (laughs) And it lasts like two days. (laughs) Right. Right. But like these boxes that we're like, we maybe don't even realize we're, we're, maybe we're not actively trying to live up to, but like that we feel some. I think there's definitely, there's some intentional trying. Yeah, yeah. And then there's some, there's most of it's unintentional trying, but we are trying absolutely to live up to these ideals. Yeah, and the energy that we could put elsewhere if we were free of that. Diet culture. Diet culture is a product of gender. Yeah, it is. It's a product of the binary. It is. Right? Um, And heteronormativity. Yeah. Body dysmorphia. It's a product of, of, well, heteronormativity is also a product of gender. Like sexuality doesn't exist if we don't have gender. Sexuality doesn't exist if we don't have gender. What? Because sexuality what? is completely relational. So, wait, wait. If a, so do we have to your, have gender to have sexuality? Your gender yeah. is what dictates your sexuality. So if mm-hmm. you are, listen, follow yeah. me. Okay, okay. Follow me. So you were assigned female at birth and you have a vagina. Yes. And you prefer to have sex with cis men. Yes. Who have penises. Who yes. were assigned male at birth. These are relational things. If you transitioned to a transmasculine person, what is your sex now? My sex? What's your sexuality? My sexuality? Mm-hmm. What does it matter? I still have sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm Just like, roll with me for a second, though. <laughs> okay, okay. So if you become transmasculine, are you gay now? Why do I have to label that? Can I just be a sexual I need, being? I need you to label this oh, with me so okay, that you okay. can understand the connection between gender and sexuality. Okay, so if I transition to... You are a cis woman. I'm a cis woman. Who is heterosexual. Who's heterosexual right you now. Become yes. a cis, you become a trans man. Yes. And you still like to have sex with men. Are you gay now? Uh, by our rigid definitions, yes. 
So gender, uh, I see the what gender you're that you are, I see what you're saying, dictates your sexuality. Right. And I'm not saying that gender dictates what you are attracted to, but it dictates how you define it because the labeled. definition is relational. Okay, I'm with you on that. So now me, as a non-binary person, yes. I love to to mess with all the cis men I date. Yes. Because I tell them, you do realize you're having gay sex right now, right? And they're just like, well, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, but you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's relational. And so I've never once called myself lesbian because I don't, I, I don't identify in that way. Um, I'm As a pansexual. Woman. Right. So I'm like, I'm pansexual, but a lot of that is because I'm non-binary. Right. So, right. So, so what I'm attracted to, who I'm attracted to has nothing to do with my gender. Right. But the way that I talk about it has everything to do with my gender. I got you. I got you. Because I'm like, the experience of sexuality has nothing Not to do with gender. Not the experience, right? Yes. So what labeling. happens if we separate desire, pleasure, sex, gender? Bond and freedom. <laughs> Like everything changes. Right. Right. So like if you were blindfolded, you know, I love to do this to my my students who are cis head men who are really like adamant about I, I'm a whole ass man. Okay. A whole ass man. So I'm like, if I blindfolded you and invited six people to just come and love on you and you had no idea who was doing what, you mean to tell me that you're not going to have an erection until you know for sure that they're all cis women? Right. That they're all like five, six, 115 pounds with size double d's like is that what it's gonna take or are you gonna enjoy that shit pretty sure it's the latter and you can't control your penis getting hard you can't try it so like pleasure is one thing yeah right who we desire is another thing but what's happened is both of those things have been conflated and attached to systemic injustice and so we only desire certain things and we are only willing to be pleased by certain things we're only Mm. we're only willing to give certain types of pleasures Mm. based on these other configurations. I see where you, I see, I'm with you now. Right. So what does it mean to liberate your body and allow pleasure to happen to you without it being caught up in all the other bullshit? Hmm. Yeah. Those are big questions. I know. They are. asking them. (laughs) And I, well, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like it just pushes us to maybe have another conversation specifically about sexual orientation and kids and how we support them and being able to, to be who they want to be. But I, think what I hear from what you're saying is that to deconstruct the binary is a really important first step. It's a huge first step. In supporting them in developing their it's sexuality because they've been so right. intertwined. So in most society. children come into their gender identity between the ages of four and five. Mm. So despite parents and guardians attempting to force boys and girls into boyhood and girlhood, mm-hmm. Children really do make their own decisions up at around four or five. They do. The psychological literature would say they have gender constancy around seven. So that would make sense that they would start to have a sense of their identity. So they're starting to understand it. So as early as four and five, I mean, before then, you can be dismantling the non-binary through Mm -hmm. language like there's no such thing as girl colors and boy colors. We could stop having gender reveal parties. People who do that, I need y'all to understand that you are literally telling the world whether or not your baby, a baby, has a dick or a pussy. Let's like be real about it. Don't call it vagina and penis. No, dick and pussy. Because it's being sexualized. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Right? And it's, it's a sex reveal, not a gender reveal. It's a it sex is. reveal. It's a sex reveal. But on top of that, if, if you can say those things, right? Like there's no girl colors, boy colors, whatever. But around four and five, start asking your child what their pronouns are. And just get it ingrained into their head, right? How do you identify? 
how do you feel? You have choice. You have agency. You have choice, agency, and autonomy. Yes. Right? Um, and then once you get older, now not everybody does that between four and five, especially if a child grows up in a place feeling very, very boxed in mm-hmm. and is the polar opposite of whatever that box is, it might take a lot longer yeah. and if they to, have s- to get there, right? Yep. And if they have systems around them, whether it's religion or All, other yes. things that There's don't allow them to explore factors. that. But for most kids, you can start asking, like, again, four and five years old, what are your pronouns, right? And just, and that question, I think a lot of cis people, I know for me, when I first learned about this, um, I was like, I can't ask anybody that. That's invasive and private. But it's like, no, that's what you ask. What you don't ask is like, what's between your pants, right? And what's in your legs? I said that wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for, for asking someone what their pronouns are is completely acceptable. And it's, it's, it's affirming. And you should always ask. Like, don't assume anybody's pronouns or anything because of how they look. Just always ask. Um, and then as you, as your child ages, I would say just expose them to as many mediated texts, whether it's, you know, YouTube series or whatever, with just people who are different so that they can start to see here's lots of options to choose from, um, but also lots of things to learn in case my friends choose some of these things too, right? Or, or people that I know. Um, and so. It's it's baby steps, but, you know, yeah, deconstruct, ask and affirm, expose, right? And mm-hmm. then they go on and start changing shit. Because once you, once you got the fire in you, you cannot not do something. Right. Like, once you care, you got to do something. That's the hope. I hope so. That's the hope. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sitting down with me. I feel like there's so many other things we could talk about. So will you come back? Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> if folks want to follow you and pick up your gems of wisdom outside of the podcast, how can they or how would you be interested in folks following? You? Yeah. So um, the the so Transfuturism, the project I talked about earlier, is a part of the Justice Fleet. So if you want to check out the Justice Fleet, you can go to thejusticefleet, F-L-E-E-T dot com. Um, we're on Instagram. So at the justice fleet, um, I also have a page with my child at gender futurity where Axel and AJ fuck with gender. Um, and then Transfuturism as a page was so at Transfuturism, And then of course, like I'm on Facebook and stuff and Twitter, same handles. Um, so yeah, come, come hang out. Let's have some talk. Awesome. Well, thank you all for joining me on Raising Equity Today. I know I learned a lot from Dr. Amber Johnson. I hope that you did too. So be sure to follow them. Um, I want us to really think about how we can raise kids and raise ourselves, continue to explore for ourselves the fact that gender binary is not the only way to be and to explore and be willing to, to be free of some of the ways in which it's boxed us in. So thanks for joining me on Raising Equity. I'll see you next time.